Hello, everybody. Welcome back to your Heart in the Pain NBA podcast, the NBA podcast where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I'm your host, Matt, and again, joined by Michael after a one-week hiatus. And, of course, a lot of things have been going on since we last spoke as a group. The tank off is real. The uh, try-in for Zion, as we like to coin it. Uh, The Lakers, of course, are now officially a train wreck. And the playoff picture is getting a lot of clarity. So we'll be going over all those things in detail. But before we get to the meat of the podcast, we'd like to give a special shout-out our sponsor and and most particularly we i guess the way to allude to this the best way is you know i was watching the ringer obviously and uh, bill simmons did a rewatchables about the okc golden state 2015 matchup and really 2016 2016 sorry 2016 matchup the game five uh, okc at home Bro, and game six. <laughs> I, I got my numbers flipped. Oh, God. <laughs> game six, Clay Thompson, of course, saves the Warriors dynasty. And Draymond steals the ball and steals KD's hearts from the likes of OKC. Uh, it was a great podcast, by the way. You should listen to it. But it really started the area of this Golden State dynasty. But now that we're starting to see that the area of Golden State is closing... The reign of Zion is about to arrive on the horizon, and the tank is real. You know, we're talking Cleveland, we're talking New York, we're talking Phoenix. All these major cities, major vacation destinations are all in on trying for Zion. And you know how you get to all those cities from where you are? Boeing. Boeing is the premier jet engine manufacturer. All vendors and all NBA teams are going to to deliver them their tanks for Zion, because you never know... When Zion's shoes might blow out again, so you want him to be on a Boeing jet, going straight to your premier, you know, first primary market NBA teams. So with Zion taking over not only the NBA landscape, the Twitter landscape, the college landscape, and more importantly now the skies with Boeing, uh, Boeing is now the official first corporation to enter in on the Zion sweepstakes. The 737 MAX 8 Jets is their premier way to blow out more than Zion shoes. So get your first class to Boeing. Go and harden the paint for Zion today using promo code SKYFALL at boeing.com slash going. That's uh, promo code SKYFALL for your Zion sweepstakes tickets. That could be upwards of $2,000 per seat. And so with that... We got one month in the NBA season left. Yeah, it is crazy. It feels like just yesterday we were starting over. We just had a very underwhelming finals. We were talking about LeBron to the Lakers and all these free agents. And now look at it here. We're talking about playoffs all over again. Uh, it's it's imp- it's wild to me. Uh, I just I just can't believe how far we've come in in the same amount of time it took us to get here last year. Uh, and more importantly, how mighty. The Cavs have fallen. They are, what are they, number three worst team in the league right now to get Zion, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, I think the Knicks kind of honing in that number one. And I guess it's between Cleveland and Phoenix. But it's flat, right? Like the top or the bottom three all get a 14% chance to win the uh, number one pick. 
So as long as you're in the bottom three, you're fine. So this makes it interesting, right? So this is a change from last year where it was, I think number one, it was still like sequential. It was like 25%, where, yeah. Yeah, one had the most, then two had more, and three had a little less, and so on and so on and so on. And now it's top three all have the same percent, which makes it an interesting dynamic. I guess this was part of their anti-tank rules, of course, from trusting the process that actually seemed to have worked out. Um, yeah, this is, uh, you know, I'd be interested to see the long-term implications of a top three all being equalized. I think that's really interesting. Like, I could see, like, top two being equalized, right? Because you kind of do this based on conferences to an extent, but top three is kind of an interesting choice to me. Yeah, and I think there's some other stipulations, like if you end up being seventh, then the highest you could be is like, is, is you could get the pick for the fourth in the lottery as opposed to what happened with Cleveland that one year where they were like, what, ninth, and then they end up getting the number one pick. I think a lot of that has been taken out as well. So it definitely seems to be like they're trying to make it seem less rigged, which is overall a good thing, as we know from all those Cleveland years. Um, and that makes me wonder, you know, is Zion really going to the Knicks? Like, are we sold on this narrative still? I don't know. The shadow over this whole thing has to be the Anthony Davis trade. If you're the Knicks and you have a number one pick, you know, you're starting to think maybe we should try to get Anthony Davis out of that. If you also have the two max slots. Like, the Knicks have legitimately could have three people with Kyrie, Anthony Davis, and Kevin Durant. This is Whoa. legitimately in play. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty crazy. Talk like, about changing the dynamics of a league overnight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, so so I think everybody and their mother is sold on Kevin Durant going to the Knicks. Or at least New York as a, as a destination. I wouldn't rule out the Clippers, but I'm sold that Katie's gone from Golden State. I think he's a, I think he's being a moron, and I think he's going to leave. And I think the Knicks make the most sense in his head, but not necessarily the best basketball sense. But well, I mean, yeah, okay. And then I, I would assume Kyrie is kind of that hometown kid. Uncle Drew was like based on what Rocker Park kind of idea. And yeah. then Anthony Davis is at least looking for teammates and a winning culture, which for some reason the Knicks would offer that to him. So, so let's let's get this straight here. The Knicks are the worst team in the league right now. They were the first team eliminated from finals contention. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they have, of course, enough money for two max slots, like we said. But they aren't guaranteed this number one pick with the 14% rule. Like, this, this massive tanking ploy could just totally backfire, and, like, Phoenix could get it. Right, but I'm also kind of glad because this is the first time the Knicks have tanked on purpose, and it's working. I mean, even Spike, Lee, even Spike Lee at the Oscars <laughs> mentioned this. <laughs> They've tanked and not accidentally won any games along the way. And, I mean, worst case, they get, like, the number three pick. So Zion's gone, and then you're left with Two other Duke players and uh, John Moran. 
So, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, John Moran. Not exactly scrubs, but I mean, obviously, if you fall outside the top four, then like where Chicago is, Chicago's kind of fucked. So you got to think like maybe we need to do a little bit of a deeper dive into all of the what's could go on with a mock draft and people trading up and down and that kind of thing. Uh, but you know, you think is Zion really leaps and bounds better than John ja Morant or RJ Barrett? You know, is it is it really exponentially better to have that number one pick rather than the two or the three this year? Before if his you're shoes the Knicks. blew out, before his shoes blew out, I think it was obvious that Zion was the best prospect. With his health, I don't really know because he's also a big guy, and you just don't know how these things are going to kind of turn out, right? This is what we're kind of waiting on with Boogie, um, and I think the the thing that Zion brings over the other guys is box office. Like President Obama came to a Duke game. This matters. He's going to draw a crowd to the to the New York Knicks to Madison Square Garden, and that means something. As so if the Knicks to... win the number one pick, do I claim conspiracy bill and say Adam Silver rigged the NBA to get KD, Kyrie, and Zion all to New York? Is that a reasonable proposition to have? It's like halfway there. Okay. I think if, if that happens and then uh, Kawhi goes to the Clippers and Chicago for some reason gets exponentially better, then I think it's full-on conspiracy stuff. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll keep the uh, Jalen doo-doo-doos in the background ready just in case that happens. Out of the bottom kind of team, so Cleveland, uh, the Knicks, Phoenix, Atlanta, Chicago, and we got to kind of throw Dallas in there because they've basically, after shelling four out of their starting five, and they need to get the top five. Otherwise, they lose a pick. I forget to who. But out of those kind of teams that are actually – trying for zion who uh who would you want which market do you do, would you want Zion to be in so i think there's a couple cool ways this could break down i think the lamest ones are actually dallas and chicago and cleveland i think those three are like i'd be okay i think chicago's like kind of on the up and up uh, in a sense it's like they've got some good young town already they don't necessarily need like another super duper star off their like lottery pick they just need like a really solid starter that can replace jabari which i guess Zion would do but i think you want somebody a little more three and d related um i think dallas is kind of lame because you really already have your superstars figured out I think you need a point guard on that team really bad, even though Luca is like a point guard, but I think you need like a small guy on that team. And then I said Cleveland just because fuck the Cavs. Um, so I think you the, don't like, you don't like the <laughs> Kevin Love Zion combination. Oh, Kevin Love's not going to be there next year, dude. We all know that. I'm not sold. Who would want that contract? Golden State Besides does the once KD runs, right? Besides the Lakers. Anyways, uh, I think the cool places he could go. I think the New York timeline is an interesting feature that we could exist in. I don't know if it'll actually work because I think it'll just be like typical New York Knicks and just something's going to go wrong and the press is going to come out and people will be upset and all this other junk. 
Is there a world where the Knicks have the number one pick and they skip Zion? Yes, absolutely. I'm not <laughs> counting that out. We saw what Philly did with uh, Boston last year. Like, people can easily screw this up. All right, all right. So, so there's the New York Knicks fuck-up timeline. There is... I think the Phoenix timeline's actually not bad either. I think that would be pretty cool. Like, Phoenix would be really hype then, I think. Because you'd basically have, like, three number one picks. I know Devin Booker's not number one, but he's pretty, like, he's pretty solid. Let's, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Aiton is really good. You know, then you throw Zion in between the two of them. Like, that's a really solid young core. And they still need a point guard, but that's beyond the point. Then I think Atlanta would be really cool, too. Because you've already got Trey to run the show. You've got, you know, your kind of Warriors Junior lineup going on there. You got Collins to be your big dude. So Zion doesn't have to be big. You know, you've already got, you know, Bazemore and Vince to show him the ropes. I think it'd be a decent fit. I don't think it'd be super hype, but, you know, Atlanta needs all the love they can get, right? Yeah, my pick is Atlanta. They're the ones that need the most box office draw cleveland cleveland's had their time they have lebron they can't fucking complain for the next 10 years well cleveland also has let's not you know look past you know jr smith contract tristan thompson contract you know uh clarkson contract uh dova dova larry nance kevin love didn't play all year long like Okay, like, that's what's supposed to happen when LeBron leaves your team. You're supposed to, like, lose the next year. Not when he joins your team. Um, but anyways, so, uh, really uh, interesting Instagram post came out. I think it was, like, early this morning or late yesterday. Uh, Zion was posing with, I think, one of the other draft picks in full-on Adidas gear. What does this mean, Michael? Is our conspiracy coming true? I think this is where the Zion shoe bidding war begins. This is going to mirror Game of Thrones, and it's going to be a bloodbath where you can have the Iron Throne of Zion's foot. It's pretty funny to me. You know, we've got teams tanking for Zion. We've got... College coaches bending over backwards for Zion. Now we've got shoe deals bending backwards for Zion. And we even have airplane companies bending over for Zion. It's amazing how one man can have so much power, as Kanye would say. So I got a few questions related to tanking and the idea of the lottery and some of the more big picture stuff outside of Zion. Is the tanking issue the biggest issue the biggest challenge for the NBA right now? Or would you say tampering slash the contract opt-out player movement, Anthony Davis type thing? So this is an interesting problem. I think, I don't, did you watch any of the uh, Sloan Analytics Conference from a couple I watched of the uh, Adam Silver, Bill Simmons one and the Malcolm Gladwell one. Yeah, so, so still catching up on a few of the others. They, they talked about that a bit, like kind of these problems of the NBA today. And I think the biggest, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's, I don't think the, the league is set up in such a way that this high amount of like player mobility 
and like player empowerment is like executed properly i guess in a sense like you know they talked about the social media aspect a little bit tying into that which you know we don't need to go too much into again but um yeah i don't i don't think tanking is a huge issue like, I think it's still there, and I think it's always going to happen just because it's like the three-point shot. Like, people have figured out how to play the game. Like, three points and layups. Like, it's just stats. I think tanking is not a problem for the entertainment side of the NBA. I mean, obviously, because we're talking about tanking. We're talking about teams that aren't even good on our fucking podcast, right? So, clearly, it's not a problem from, like, an entertainment point of view. But it might be a problem for the getting people to go to an to a physical game selling tickets selling season tickets that's um, the issue right is i mean especially in Elena's a ticket smaller sales. market yeah especially in a s- smaller market right a team like the knicks that have sucked for so long or the lakers that have sucked for so long they can still consistently sell season tickets right 40 games or, or even like smaller packages maybe like 15 games or something but i you know i wonder if some of these smaller markets you know, this is what they're struggling with is being able to get people to the physical game. Yeah. And and maybe that's the issue, but I guess we have to ask ourselves, you know, you know, if we're the Kings of the NBA and make the rules and whatever, you know, are we trying to value like a, cause the other problem with tanking is then you have this huge dichotomy between the upper echelon and the bottom of the barrel that just makes some nights just totally unwatchable, right? Like a couple years back when it was like LeBron was the only team over 500 in the East. And then it was like the bloodbath of the West. And it was just like any Eastern game was just not even worth turning on the TV for. So arguably we've gotten better in that aspect. Now is tanking the result of that or is it the cause of that? I'm not quite certain. I mean, it seems like you know the tank for the Sixers panned out, not really panned out for Phoenix, not really panned out for the Kings. Um, just like other, you know, these other historically bad teams. I mean, New Orleans maybe to an extent. It, it, with how volatile and random sort of, you know, what these number one picks that you're tanking for turn into are. It's it seems like no matter what you're gonna do. People are always going to be optimistic that that number one pick is going to save their franchise and people are always going to try and get it. And that doesn't mean that because the weakest team gets it, they're going to be better in the future, which is in a perfect world that makes like a hundred percent sense that, okay, we give the lowest team the best, you know, college player and to eventually sort of balance the playing field and make everybody 500. Right. Cause Maybe that's your perfect randomness goal is every game is super competitive and you never know who's going to win every game because everyone's 500. But people break legs, tear ACLs, blow out shoes, stay another year, change shoe company. Well, you know, this doesn't seem to happen that way. So then if we're looking at it from a business perspective, yeah, you're absolutely right. Tanking's awful because I can't fill up half my Atlanta seats. I got to go sell them you know, give them away pretty much to beggars on the street. 
Yeah, the other way I think that they could kind of address it is the problem basically is is tanking is perceived to be good in a way because of the Philly, the Tressa process, right? Um, or it's like in this year, whoever bottoms out and gets number one gets Zion. So maybe it, it's kind of worth it, right? Or Cleveland 15 years ago got LeBron, right? You get these kind of generational talents or, you know, these kind of guys who are big disruptors in the market. Um, but I kind of wonder if maybe they change how the revenue is shared amongst the 30 teams. So maybe if you make the playoffs, you get more of the revenue, right? You get a larger percentage of the pie, basically. So you're sort of sliding the revenue towards playoff teams. So that way it incentivizes winning over tanking. So maybe that's how they really go about it is you want more teams competing for maybe not necessarily the top three spots because usually those are going to be the hyper competitive teams, but you make those spots that are kind of the six to 10, a lot more attractive. Yeah. And you know, I think that's not a bad point. I think the only issue with that is, is you're sort of indirectly incentivizing players to not players, but, What's the right word? I guess large market organizations are going to always end up with more money then just because they tend to be better because players want to play there. You know what I'm saying? It's like maybe that's two steps down the chain reaction. but Maybe, but if we look at this year, Milwaukee, Toronto, Indy, Denver, Utah, San Antonio, the Clippers, all those teams are making the playoffs. Portland... Oklahoma City. The other side is is it's it seems to be pretty. I don't want to say easy, but think about like the Wizards. Like even in all of their mediocrity, they can still be the eighth seed this year for like the past seven years in a row. Like even almost since Gilbert Arenas, they've been an eighth seed, right? It's like we don't want to reward mediocrity, right? But we also don't want them to... We don't want to dissuade it either, right? So, so it's, it's a hard balance, right? Well, we want to incentivize the Wizards gunning for the AC as opposed to trying to tank every year, right? I think I think you hit it on the, the point there, the, specifically the 8-9-10 spot, because you don't want someone, like on the last day, two teams are tied for the 8th spot. You don't want both teams to intentionally lose that game so they drop out of the playoffs just so they get a better draft pick. Like, that'd be the worst result, right? Yeah, and I think that's what they're really targeting, right, is the kind of the teams that are just about going to make the playoffs. I think I think you can do this too, and I'm not sure how contracts are structured, but I'm sure some of them are this way, whereas, you know, if, if Kemba leads Charlotte to the playoffs and Charlotte has postseason games, I'm sure Kemba gets some sort of bonus for that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, most definitely. Most like, definitely. there's definitely got to be player incentives as well. All right. You ready to uh, talk about uh, the L.A. Lakers? Let's talk about the Latrine wreck. So Let's transition from the tank to the teams that were not trying to tank. But, man, maybe they should have thought about tanking. Let, let me just begin with, with, with an idea. Should the Lakers trade to get the number one pick? 
the fact that I'm thinking about this means they should, right? Like, it, it doesn't seem that bad on paper because when we actually take a look at how many spots they can open up, they get like one max dude, and then to get literally anybody else, they've got to trade away their young core. Mm -hmm. And yep. obviously people don't want to do that. Uh, rumor came out, I think yesterday, that at the start of the season, Magic and Rob Polinka clashed heads about which free agents to get. Um, sure, like, hope so. It's they like, can't both be more, like morons, can they? I think Magic wanted the current roster, and then oh, Rob wanted uh, Brooke Lopez and Julius Randle to come back. I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's like, oh, how much better would this team be if instead of, you They'd know... They'd probably be a playoff team. Lance Rondo, JaVale, if it was Randall and Lopez. I don't know, but so much of Brooke Lopez is predicated on shooting the three now, right? Splash Mountain and... But you have LeBron. I don't think that... Yeah, but I don't know if he'd be shooting as many threes if he was on the Lakers squad. Because he'd be playing a lot more as a traditional big. Because this, this Lakers team has a lot of problems, right? A lot of fundamental basketball problems. They, they had a lack of shooting. They had a lack of size in the interior, like in the paint. Not a lot of quickness outside of maybe three or four young guys, and that's just because they're like under the age of 22 or something. Just, just a very weird roster that didn't make casual basketball sense didn't really make any advanced basketball sense in the way that you know houston's kind of constructed of we'll have these both kind of point guard on off iso kind of style this is what we said at the beginning of the year i mean i remember these talking points like they were yesterday i mean you know the lakers assemble the squad of scrappy you know, semi-isolation kind of vet-type dudes to sort of ring in the young Lakers crowd and give LeBron, you know, some, I don't want to say like buddies in the locker room, but kind of people more on the same page as him, so to speak. Uh, and that clearly did not work out. They zagged when they should have zigged. You know, I don't... They basically built the most anti-LeBron team, as we have seen, you know, historically, of course, LeBron's best teams have already been surrounded with shooters, as everybody and their mother has said the past 10 years, and they clearly yeah. have not done that, and, you know, barring all the myriad of injuries they've had, you know, let's say they win six more games off those injuries, you know, they're barely an eighth seed at that rate. Yeah, but I think that's where we kind of pegged them. Like, I had them as six seed before the, you know, before the season began, which in the West, you know, a lot of time, at least recently, the difference between being like a four seed and like a nine seed is like only really a handful of games. So we kind of had them in that spot anyway, and they were actually exceeding expectations until LeBron goes down. LeBron goes down, he starts and playing the GM, and the trade rumors flow, and everybody just, it's like they're all in this malaise of just like, kind of solo, get my numbers type ball, and then Lonzo goes down, and Rondo goes down, and Brandon Beasley Ingram goes away. Oh. Tyson comes in, you know, they trade away Zubats, who is like the key to that team. 
I mean, it's it's just been one thing after another. It seems like for Lakers fans. All right, so I've got some stats uh, since the All Star break, and I think this this paints a wonderful picture of how this team just completely fell apart. Really, after the All Star break, right when they should have won those games against Memphis and Phoenix and Atlanta and the Clippers and the Pelicans a bunch of times, so they are 29th. This is since the All Star game. 29th in plus minus, 27th in team rebounding, 30th in steals, 28th in turnovers. Pretty much all that means effort and defense is shit. No hustle play is going on at all. Interestingly, they are second in team assists per game, third in team field goal percentage, but here's the caveat. They're 30th in three-point percentage. So they're shooting well. It's just none of it's from the three, which makes sense because they don't have any. Like LeBron is probably their best three-point shooter. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Uh, I mean, the big, the most obvious indicator of them losing is the plus-minus. You're 29th and plus-minus. That means you're only outscoring one other team <laughs> with your average lineup. So that's the big one. And then I think... Like you said, the steals and turnovers is just so huge. I think the, the steals might be Lonzo single-handedly putting them one spot higher. Uh, the turnovers, though, is even crazier. That's just like total lack of offensive flow and like Team chemistry. Yeah, some chemistry issues. Um, you know, trying to force things is what you do when you're generally frustrated with how the team's playing or you're playing. You know, and then you think. Well, it's LeBron and Rondo, really, right? With Alonzo out, making them 28th in turnovers. That doesn't look great. LeBron, LeBron, like, that's LeBron's team. Getting shoved in the back to play defense. I mean, that's just the microcosm of the season right there. So what we're looking at is a post-LeBron NBA future, right? We're getting kind of a sneak preview in the, for the playoffs. What do you think this, this looks like at a, you know, 30,000, 10,000 foot view of this post LeBron NBA landscape? Whoa, 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 whoa. Before, before we get into the playoffs, let me ask you a question. Should they, should they just shut LeBron down now for the rest of the season? No, I've already no. put him I on mean, a minutes he... restriction. No, see, this is actually something I'll bring this up like in a little bit, but, um, you can't just shut him down. He's the best player, and he's the entertainment. And I also don't think LeBron wants it because it ties into his career stats and stuff like that, right? Like, he's still gunning, what is he now, fourth in scoring, all-time scoring? Yeah. I mean, he's not, realistically, he's not that far behind Kobe and Karl Malone. Like, those are still things that he would like to accomplish. And then the next few years here i think you don't shut him down either it's just a a thing that's been going around talking points i think you don't shut him down mostly because uh you know he's a guy that obviously wants to play you you can't stop a guy that wants to play i mean look at anthony davis or chris paul or these other guys and he's someone that takes care of his body so well anyways i wouldn't be too worried about him pulling something again anytime soon I'd actually be more worried him sitting out and then trying to come back. Um, I think that's going to actually be the thing. You know, 
they they say like you know once you get going it's harder to stop sort of thing especially as you get older you know it's starting to run again or like doing jumps again it's like if you can keep your flow sort of keep your um sort of potential motion going then you risk less injury simply because you're not stopping and starting and stopping and starting so uh this obviously being his longest off season he's had in a long time uh might prove interesting i think for next year's health well, that's just my conspiracy bill but uh like you said so so glimpsing into the post lebron future so we're looking at a lebronless playoffs i think this is actually an okay thing right now feels like we have enough flag bearers and enough personality is to sort of carry us through uh, and at the same time there's going to be plenty of drama going on with anthony davis also not making the playoffs uh you know obviously all these other free agents that might potentially join lebron where his crew's going to go and i'm sure that'll be a talking point during halftime and on the set of some of these games especially like indiana detroit where they would love to talk about the lakers rather than that matchup <laughs> Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's where it's going to hurt is in the TV ratings. It, it will, but at the same time, you know, you're going to have the Clippers there. So the LA crowd's going to be showing up to home games. You won't have LeBron there, but I'm sure, you know, he's probably okay with that. He's probably accepted the fact, honestly. Do you think LeBron will attend, be a fan at one of these other playoff matchups? Oh, yeah. I would expect him at a banana boat game. Because now you're going to have D-Wade, Carmelo, and LeBron all out of the postseason together. And the only guy left is Chris Paul. Okay, well, Miami is, I believe, eighth in the East. And Charlotte has basically been a free fall. So Miami actually might stay in the playoffs. I would rather not. We'll I'd rather see Charlotte get in. <laughs> yeah, like I'd rather see like Kemba have to ISO against you know uh, Giannis. Giannis. That'd be pretty crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I think we're gonna see some more banana boat this summer. That's what I think. All right. So after the rest of the season, there will be, I guess, let's say nine assets of the that the Lakers will have as part of a kind of trade value power rankings. So I want you to kind of rank the assets that the Lakers will have once the contracts come off the book. Some of these contracts come off the books July 1st. So uh, in no particular order right now, you can feel free to rank them yourself, but basically the options are LeBron, Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, Mo Wagner, Isaac Bonga, the Luol Deng contract, and about $36 million of cap space. This is what the Lakers are going to have effective July 1st. I think what you got to do here, obviously the number one thing on your chopping block is the Luol Deng contract. You need someone stupid enough to buy into that uh, because you were stupid Granted, enough to buy into it. It's only about five million. <laughs> it's only about five. Five million, but I think it goes on for like another two or three years. So you you just gotta dump that. I mean, that's just easy money. You just gotta you know get the Wizards to buy into it or something. You know, you you can definitely find some takers for that. The thing next up is 
probably Lonzo or Josh Hart because I think you're going to hang on to Rondo, which is kind of weird to say. Uh, so the reason I say Lonzo is because he gives you the most mixed bag of good and bad. He also now is coming off an injury, so his trade value is really low. And he has a very selective places that he's going to go. So he is sort of sort of an oddball in this whole deal. I actually kind of disagree with you. One, because Rondo's contract, he only signed a one year. And out of all of these guys, uh, Brandon Ingram, Wagner, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, Isaac Bonga, I think Lonzo is actually the best fit next to LeBron. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've got a point. I was just saying, you know, I think they're going to keep Rondo because Rondo has carried them through some of these games while LeBron's been out, which has been kind of crazy. Um, and he he can really make any lineup work. I think players wouldn't mind playing with Rondo as well. Uh, so I think next up on my list is probably I'm not really sure about Isaac Bonga, so I'll just put him next just because I don't he's not impressionable to me. Uh, and I think uh, you gotta you gotta get rid of. I think you gotta get rid of either Brandon Ingram or Kyle Kuzma. I and I want to say you keep Kuzma, which is really sad to me. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I think Brandon Ingram's good, but it feels like he doesn't try. Like you feel like by now, you know, he's been in the league for almost three seasons. He would have figured out how to put some muscle on his bones. You know, if he if he was like he's got this sort of anointment to be the next Kevin Durant or similar type player. You feel like he would have figured out a three-point shot by now. You figure you th he kind of got the drive and kick down a little bit. Um, his defense has gotten a lot better. I'm sure his athleticism's improved, but he still needs like 50 pounds of muscle, it seems like, on his bones. And he's, and he's a dookie, so you gotta get him out of there. Kuzma, on the other hand, he embraces the Mamba mentality, besides twisting his ankle and some Kobe's the other night. Um, he is a great, super budget Kevin Love to play aside LeBron. I mean, think think about how they play them in games. It's it's really similar. Minus you know, Kuzma is not as good as a screener, and not as great as like a tenacious rebounder as Kevin Love is, but. Yeah, I think he's more willing to shoot those spot-up jumpers and is more willing to sort of call his own shots a little bit, which is maybe nice for an aging LeBron. Maybe he would rather not have to force-feed someone so much. So I can see that one. Also, I think he's the most liked by the town, really, right now. Like, obviously a University of Utah guy. You know, everybody loves him for being... He was kind of in that rookie of the year conversation uh, last year. Uh, really, is sort of their surprise blessing in disguise, so to speak. Uh, and then you got to get rid of that thirty-six million cap space. That's the most obvious one. I mean, that'll get you anybody you want in the league, pretty much. 
um, you know, buy Carmelo with it, you know, buy back Julius Randle, whatever you got to do. Might as well get the whole banana boat while you're at it. Um, and then Mo Wagner, I think, is untradeable. Mostly because... Yep, yep. Mo Wagner is the most untradeable asset. Yeah. He's got to fill your diversity quota on his team somehow. Yeah, talk about that hot take. He's a really good shooter. Like, Bro, you're not going to sell me on keeping Mo Wagner over LeBron in cap space and Brandon Ingram. All right, what if this has all actually been a conspiracy and Ron's way of defeating the Golden State Dynasty was for him actually not to be in the playoffs? I mean, it could be. You there? Like, think about it, right? Golden State, 2014, 2015, 2016 – the first year they win the title, Kyrie, Kevin Love are injured. Dova is playing a ton of minutes. Otherwise, I would you would have to say probably the Cavs would win that series. They took it to six games without Kyrie, without Kevin Love. Next year, they do win the title. And I wonder if, back of their mind, Golden State was just thinking, we can't beat him. And then Kevin Durant's thinking, I can't beat LeBron either. So they just sort of team up together and say, but together we can beat him. And if there's no need to beat LeBron, then that team doesn't need to exist anymore. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe you he's playing the psychological battle of your whole purpose was to defeat me because I was Hitler and you were the Alliance of Allied Nations. Now that Hitler has disappeared, who are you allying against? It's just the USA versus Japan. And... You don't need, you know, Britain's help for that. You don't need, you know, South America's help for that. You don't need Israel's help with Japan. It's just you, USA. You got Pearl Harbor. That's your battle to fight now. And that's when Kevin Durant leaves. I think we figured it out, Michael. If you've taken away Thanos, there's no reason for the Avengers to exist anymore. All right, let's move on to the playoffs. Let's talk about the other team in L.A., Lou Williams has officially become the highest scoring reserve of all time. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't feel anything valuable about this. I mean, he intentionally <laughs> plays on the bench just to get these accolades. No. Yeah. It's, and it's nobody great. calls him out on it. <laughs> um, Detroit and Blake Griffin. So Blake Griffin is actually having a career high in points. Is basically his box score for the season is 28, 8, and 5. Shooting an attempt seven threes a game. And he's making 36%, which is pretty good for a guy who we really didn't think could shoot coming out of college. Yeah, no, that very much changes game since the Lob City era. He does right? step back threes all the time now. It's crazy. Uh, since the All Star break, the NBA player with the mo- with the best percentage from three, with at least four attempts, is Langston Galloway of the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, you can't sleep Detroit on Langston. Pistons. 
Detroit Pistons might be a sneaky good playoff team in the right matchup because in the fourth quarter, now this is also since the All-Star game, they are shooting 48% from three in the fourth quarter. That's pretty impressive. That's and a lot of good clutch threes. Detroit, I think, you know, we've got these monsters in the East, but I think really with the right matchup, they could really push those guys to seven and maybe squeak out a win on somebody. Maybe like an unsuspecting Philly or like a Celtics that's having a train wreck. Well, you mentioned Indiana, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if Indiana and uh, Detroit, say, end up in like a 4-5 kind of spot, because let's say Boston just kind of slips a little bit here at the end in the second round. Yeah. No. And then, you know, I don't think anybody's going to take Indy to win those games. I mean, no offense, but it's like, who's your star? You know, like you're going to make one in these playoffs. Probably going to be like Miles Turner and like the most efficient player Sabonis ever, but... Uh, you know, it's like at the end of the day, you know, one position left. It's like, yeah, I'm going to give Blake an ISO. Or I'm going to give Drummond an ISO on the low block. You know, it was in like Indiana, you know, who am I giving it to? Tyreek Evans, Wesley Matthews. Like that doesn't sound good. So can Indy get to the second round without Oladipo? Honestly, yeah. If they're matching up versus Detroit. I think there's a way they win that somehow. <laughs> like it I, even though i just said it feels like detroit's gonna win like there's a reasonable 50 50 behind that matchup all right so the uh sloan sports analytics conference happened last week and you know i've been working on on some code for the last few weeks to try and figure out like an nba player's prime right using some of this basketball reference data and while i've been kind of toying with it you know still a long way out on this app but some interesting stats came up that actually kind of put this whole indie without all the depot into perspective a little bit. So, uh, Indiana sneaked good, uh, in stealing the ball since the all-star game, nine steals a game, nine steals per without game. Depot. It's pretty crazy. Cause Ola depot was like two on his own. Uh, I think that's what got me. What? Well, Wesley Matthews, Trying to fill that void on defense maybe a little bit? I have no idea. I don't think I've watched a single Indiana game. Yeah, I agree. Since Oladipo's been injured. I don't think I've watched an Indiana game since the playoffs last year. So, sorry, folks. All right, so here's some stats. Uh, Players that are shooting 50% or better from three since the All-Star game. Langston Galloway, Danny Green, Malcolm Brogdon, P.J. Tucker. Any of those guys besides Langston Galloway surprise? Well, Malcolm Brogdon is now going to be a 50-40-90 boy, maybe even a 50-50-90. He keeps it up, um, which is pretty crazy. Also, Langston Galloway is, like, huge trade bait for some team. Like, I know he was on New York for a while, but, like, if a real contender had him, holy crap, that'd be so good to have. Like These are all, like, Lakers? crutch pieces that... You know, three and D glue guys really um, that you just like really a part. It's almost like the Trevor Ariza award, honestly. Like guys well, you want on where, any championship team. I think this is where the Lake be looking. Langston Galloway, Danny Green, Malcolm Brockton. I think these are all free agents. Yeah, that would be solid. Uh, player assists. 
since the All-Star game. LeBron with 10. CP3 with 9. Trey Young with 9. Maybe putting the Rookie of the Year conversation uh, play. And Kyle Lowry with 8.3. I think the interesting one here is, like you said, Trey Young. So a lot of news going around that he's reigniting the Rookie of the Year conversation. He's been... I reported last week, it's not true anymore, but he was the leading points getter since the All-Star break, too. Um, Is it too little too late, though, for the Rookie of the Year? I don't know. The recency bias is real strong with these awards, man. Like, if he can keep this hot streak going, like, even into the playoffs, like, people will give him a bunch of votes for that because people will forget how phenomenal Luka was at the beginning of the season. And now that they've sort of, Dallas has relegated to tanking, uh, people are kind of pushing Luca stories off to the side now. Uh, team three point percentage. This one, I I, I was completely like mind blown. Forty percent from San Antonio. Uh, Clippers thirty eight percent, Golden State thirty eight percent, Indy thirty eight percent, and Giannis just by himself is shooting thirty four percent. Yeah, so uh, the Spurs one is. The craziest thing, because they're long twos team. Uh, yeah, on a team with Demar Derozan and Lamarcus Aldridge. <laughs> so you said forty percent. So I'm thinking they've only shot ten threes since the All Star break, and four of them went in, and they were all Patty Mills, right? Maybe I I I don't know because they've they were on a bit of a slide, but I think they've won four or five in a row now. Because I think they're kind of – it's almost like they're they're the only team really trying for that um, we got a kind of playoff seeding. I think they know that they're safe for getting into the playoffs, and now they're hunting for seeding. It's almost like San Antonio really want the Denver match to Golden State or Houston where – Yeah, where they can just get sure athleticism. Yeah. Maybe kind of grind it, grind it down, make it an ugly game. Yeah, Spurs and Nuggets and, would so be really I cool. If, yeah, so I think I think it's a little bit of of that. Giannis though picking up his three ball a little bit. Yeah, so That's so kind of the big knock, right? Is he can't really shoot, but maybe he can. He when I, when he was here in Jazzland a couple weeks ago, I mean he was shooting threes and warm ups a lot, and they weren't really going in that much. But he shot I think two of four for the game from three, which is like 50%. I mean, it's not a high volume sample, but it's not like they're air balls. I mean, they're like reasonable shots and he's being left wide open. So it's like, might as well shoot it. Still looks weird, but it goes in, it goes in, I guess. Uh, so because I was kind of focusing on stats, it kind of had me thinking, has this been the best year for Wilt Chamberlain since he retired? of all random records that have been broken or um, maybe not in Harden's case, the streak not being broken, but well, well, Chamberlain's getting a lot of exposure for a guy that's not even alive. Seems kind of weird how I've been noticing this too, is like people have been more willing to talk about Wilt's like body of work now. And even though he didn't win a bunch of rings, he was still really good. It's almost like it's a secret narrative to make like a lebron james apology tour for not having enough rings but having some monster stats oh starting to, starting <laughs> to rewrite the narrative picture. early 
I like it. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about with these minutes restrictions with AD and LeBron, how do you think that affects their stats? Is, um, I've been working with this basketball reference data, trying to figure out like a player's prime, right? So that we can, and then, you know, the idea is like once I can find like a known player's prime, like LeBron, where we know it should be kind of 2012 to 2014, um, then we can start predicting players' primes, right? So like the young guys, like a Ben Simmons, like if we can figure out how to predict like, oh yeah, his best season in his career is going to be like his eighth year somehow, that'd be kind of cool. But uh, what do you think of the minutes restrictions in this kind of stats talk? Minutes restrictions kind of suck. Like, I'm not, like, it's a really awkward solution to fix the problem of either tanking or not wanting to play a player because he wants to be traded or, you know, these weird conundrums both these teams are in right now. And sure, it's nice for the fans. Oh, I get to see LeBron play even though it's almost like empty stats in a sense because it's like well if lebron's not playing normal minutes there's no way they win the game and he's just kind of getting his numbers collecting his paycheck and going home kind of like carmelo in a sense uh, the most rich unemployed person on the earth so I, I don't, i'm not a big fan of it and i think like i don't want to say it kind of puts mud in their legacy but it definitely isn't going to feel good narrative wise like especially if this trend continues for a couple years down the road of like minutes restricting stars just to fill these weird oh we don't want to win or we don't want to hurt you because we want to trade you it'd be like a really bad trend to start uh and the last stat i have uh before we talk about some of these specific playoff matchups Golden State and Milwaukee are both leading uh, the NBA in blocks at over six a game since the All-Star break. Good sign or bad sign that this is our NBA Finals matchup? Uh, I think it's a good sign, mostly because if Milwaukee can stay top five offense and defense rating, uh, they're probably going to make it to the Finals. And, of course, we know Golden State's going to get there. So I'm buying my Giannis jersey right now. All right, so we're doing this uh, what, Tuesday, March 12th. Uh, I wrote these matchups down prior to 7 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so right now, I mean, this wouldn't be the matchup, but this is kind of the matchup I'm kind of hoping for. If Brooklyn were to play Boston in the first round, how hype would it be considering the whole Boston hijacked Brooklyn's like decade of basketball? That would be an awesome narrative, like for us uh, old timers, I guess. Uh, it wouldn't be like a great present day narrative because I think Boston would win that series probably in like a four-two side of things. You think so? Yeah, I think I think Boston, I think Boston needs like a couple games just to get their head on straight, so to speak. All right, let me let me like lay this out for you. So Brooklyn's gonna get Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie back. They're they're back on the court. Uh, both teams have one all-star. Brooklyn hasn't been to the playoffs since 2015. It hasn't won a round since 2014. And they have a lot of revenge-type motivation to wreck Boston, who has worse team chemistry. Are you sure this isn't a closer matchup than we think? 
I think 4-2 is really fair. Because I think at the end of the day, no one's going to be able to guard Kyrie on the, on Brooklyn's side. Um, I think Jared Allen's going to make him a name for himself with some sick blocks that's going to go over social media again. <laughs> but I think the reason why I'm not so sold on this narrative anymore is because it's not like anyone from those trades is even on those teams anymore, except for like Marcus Smart, maybe. Like he was a result of those trades, I think. Like, you know, if Rondo was still on the Celtics or something, or if like... Well, I think that Jalen Brown is also out of that. Like he's a pick resulting from the Brooklyn trade. Yeah, but but Jalen wasn't really around when it was like the Celtics were dumpster tier, when it was like Rondo, Avery Bradley was your best two players. And you had like Brandon Bassett starting center. Like, you know, it's not like, you know, part of the player movement thing and all this other stuff is, it's hard to keep these like team rivalries. I mean, you're better off with like player rivalries these days, like, you know, KD, Russ, and Harden, or LeBron and Steph. KD versus Paul George in the Kawhi versus LeBron because I mean LeBron versus the Spurs anymore it's not really you know maybe Patty Mills but really it's more like LeBron versus Popovich because mm. none of those players are left there so uh, I think it'd be cool is this, but... is this Boston team the worst best team of all time or I guess the most underachieving Good team of all time. I'm going to have to hold on that one until the playoffs happen. I, I mean, there's still like a reasonable chance that Boston makes the finals. I mean, that's what we had at the beginning of the year. And if they can actually pull their bootstraps up and buckle down and hang on to Kyrie's wild ride, I mean, they've got a chance. All right. We'll table that one. Uh, the Kings are... Not mathematically eliminated, but they're pretty much not going to make the playoffs in the West. But they still have a chance at a winning season. Uh, they're currently thirty-three and thirty-three. Oof! But what do you make of the King season? Uh, this is great. I mean, we've been talking about how Buddy Heald and more likely Darren Fox is in sort of the most improved player conversation. Uh, optimistic Sacramento franchise right now, which feels good. I think they were really pushing for that eighth seed in the West. And it's kind of sad they aren't getting it being, they might end up even over 500, which is kind of crazy to not make the playoffs and be over 500. Um, but I don't know. I'm kind of in on it. It's like if they could ever get like a real star player, like a boogie, Cousins type role player, they could probably work out, but you know, I'm still uh, all on the incompetence of the organization there, just like the Knicks. All right, here is the current first round matchups in the West Golden State would, one, would be the one seed versus Utah. My big question is will Joe Ingles fight Draymond Green? Nah, dude, Gobert's going to get ejected. That's what's going to happen. You don't see a, a way there being a double double technical at some point between Drew Gobert and Joe Ingles. Yeah, it could happen. Katie. I think Jay Crowder could do it too against like Katie <laughs> or something. That's gonna be a hype series because both those home crowds are fantastic. 
What do you think that series would be? Seven games? I'll go with six. I, I don't know, actually. I could see I seven. Be good at home. It's one of those things where I, you know, the past six years, the Warriors' first round matchup, they've always seemed to lose games they should have won. You know, go back to the Pelicans game or uh, mm-hmm. some of those other games. So I think they just come out slow, and there's a reasonable chance they could drop a game at home or on the road, or KD might not show up. But even though KD is really the person they have no answer to on Utah side, I mean, are they going to put Derek Favors on KD? Like, that seems like a disaster. What would you do to try to get a ticket to that game? Uh, they are super game. expensive. <laughs> They're like at least 500 for uh, tickets. Especially Golden State, right? Well, they, you don't know. Uh, like, you buy them right now, they're still 500. You don't know the matchup yet, so. Right, right. Technically, I would make um, money on that deal, I think, if it was Golden State. I don't think it will the be, two seven. The 2-7 matchup would be Denver-San Antonio. This is like will the ultimate anybody, basketball nerds matchup. That's what I was going to say. Will anybody outside of the hardcore fans of those two teams or, you know, the the Zach Lowe ESPN people that have to watch this, any of these games after game one? No. Like, <laughs> you're going to get Michelle Beadle watching these. And like maybe Chauncey on there's a, on like the Wednesday night games. Um, I think this series is actually like super sick though from like a, str- a strategic standpoint. Like you don't have a good DeRozan stopper. Jokic is like a whole different color and shape that Pop hasn't really had to deal with in the past ten years. <laughs> I mean. They, just, they both play so differently than every other team. It's almost a shame that they're matching up against each other. Uh, the 3-6 matchup would be Houston versus the Clippers. How funny would it be to see CP3 lose to the Clippers in the first round? That would be the ultimate irony. <laughs> I'd take Denver to win the other series, by the way. Um, I don't think Houston will lose to the Clippers. Unless they sign like Josh Smith right now. So uh, they had CP on the JJ Reddick podcast a couple days ago and they talked about that. Uh, I think it was 2015 when the Clippers lost oh, a 3 yeah, 1 lead to the Rockets, yeah. led by Josh Smith and Corey, and Corey Brewer. Brewer with Harden sitting on the bench. <laughs> that was the most depressing playoff series. I ever stayed up for on the East Coast. God, I felt so bad you know, after those games. You know, one of the things I, I, I saw on one of the stats was Houston is actually bad and really good at fourth quarter, so clutch kind of scoring situations from three. So they are good because they actually make the most threes. They make a little over four threes in the fourth quarter. Uh, but it's bad because they shoot like 11 or 12. So they actually have like a really terrible percentage, right? Is there a chance that Houston pulls what they did in Game 7 of last year in the conference finals and just kind of shoots their way out of a game and loses this series? Yes, there's an absolute possibility this happens. It's the it's the plague of the jump shooting team where you can just go cold a game and just lose, and you would never know until the game happened. 
and Lou Williams just gets really, really, really hot. No, it's Montrez Harrell. Oh, man. SGA. The SGA uh, welcome party. Um, the uh, So who do you have? Houston or LA? Houston? I got Houston. I, I'd say it's like 4-1, realistically. And I, I think an intriguing matchup outside of a potential Boston-Philly matchup would be the 4-5 of OKC versus Portland. This is good. Unfortunately, I wish this was a later matchup. This should be like a second-round matchup to me. Um, this feels a lot like 2015 when the Clippers-Spurs matched up. Yeah. It was like, man, we want these teams in the conference finals, not in the first round. So this this begs us the question of, is Portland even a threat to the Western Conference Finals? Like, could we see them on the same level of OKC and Houston of being a contender to Golden State? I think they are. I think they reasonably are. I think this is the most balanced and maybe well-executed Portland team since Dame's been there. Um it's not all on his shoulders like it used to be. He's got plenty of help this time, it feels like. Really, their biggest weakness is like Evan Turner at small forward, uh, which is a pretty big weakness. But it feels like if a lot of their pieces are going right this year and nobody's really talking about it. And so I'd like to say that I'm going to be a Portland fan for these games, but I'm not going to be upset if OKC wins. Because I feel like both really teams can take on Golden State to an extent. I wonder if this is actually just the wrong match for Portland. Um, their backcourt is a little small, and OKC is notoriously uh, tall, like lengthy, um, especially on the perimeter. I'm wondering if this is just kind of what happened with them with the Pelicans last year. They just kind of the wrong matchup. Yeah, that's a that's actually a very reasonable excuse. I mean, you don't have a good Paul George matchup. Uh, you have Ennis Cantor playing a revenge game. Um, you know, what's Dame going to do and McCollum when it's like, what's his name? Uh, on Grant, OKC Grant, or on? Yeah, Grant or uh, Adams, like, oh, kind of playing, you know, safety on him, you know, so. And there's still the Andre Robertson x-factor that might come into play and look how we bookended that the last game andre roberson played that was meaningful and we're talking about him even again almost four years later all right what do my final question is what do the playoffs mean for this golden state warriors legacy assuming durant walks away at the end of this year uh win or lose the title Put uh put the the Golden State run. All right, so into, here's here's how we think about this. There's a lot of what ifs with this run. You know, what if you know Steph never gets magic ankles back? You know, what if OKC doesn't lose that game six, uh, five six whatever it was a couple years back and then loses Kevin Durant? What if the Warriors actually beat the Cavs that one year? You know, a lot of this what ifs are like actually pretty magical compared to like the LeBron super team what ifs of well what if Wade Bosch and LeBron went somewhere else it's like eh, it'd probably still be a championship team but anyways it's you know we all didn't have faith that a jump shooting team would ever win the NBA title 
and we were proven wrong three times in a row not in a row but three times in four years it should oh yeah and potentially four out of five years now that alone is in itself a means of being in a hallmark legacy of the best of the best teams to ever touch the hardwood when it comes from coaching to players to play style to eras of basketball. And maybe what we're seeing here is, and it is, as it has been really the past couple of years, is the analytics era. And who knows if this team breaks apart with just Kevin Durant, maybe Katie, Draymond, and Clay all go somewhere else. Maybe nobody goes anywhere. And we end up repeating the cycle again, but... Uh, wherever people end up, it's put the exclamation point, the highlighter mark, the underline on this era of three-point shooting, analytics basketball, player empowerment, and um, really sort of the modern, like this is the most modern feeling game. Not just because it's contemporary, but when you watch it compared to other eras, it's just like this is almost a reflection of the microwave society in in a sense. Um, it's really it's really remarkable when you think about. It. I mean, how many postseason games those guys play? I mean, Steph and basically having to retune the way he runs after breaking his ankle so many times, um, and they're still in the like the MVP conversation to an extent. Like that's that sustained success is nothing to scoff at, especially when now we're looking at all of the teams that they had to beat to sort of climb this pedestal over the years. I mean, you had to beat Lob City Clippers, you had to beat the Spurs, you had to beat traditional OKC without Harden, you had to beat the team literally built to beat you last year. And now you're probably going to have to beat them again this year. So, I mean, honestly, it'll be multiple 30 for 30s about this team. And, I mean, we'll see 20 years from now if people are still talking about Under Armour and Steph shoes like they do about Jordan or three-point shooting or what the heck happens with Kevin Durant's legacy because it pretty much guaranteed not tied to this team. It's more of a a detour for him, whether they win or lose, it seems like. Yeah, so uh, with that, folks, uh, nice, nice way to sort of come full circle with the Durant sweepstakes. Um, you can find us, of course, on SoundCloud, Google Play, hopefully, Stitcher, all those lovely places you like to get your podcasts at. Of course, we love your questions, comments, and concerns, whether that be in the fields below, uh, or you can check the description for our associated links and emails. Uh, send us a direct message. We always love hearing your feedback. And of course, we'd love to give our special shout out to our Heart in the Paint listener of the Fortnite, and that is Elon Musk for sabotaging the 787 Max. We do appreciate your work, Elon, and uh, we will catch you all next couple days, potentially next week, depends on when I get back to my desk, 
for some more NBA talk. This has been your Heart in the Paint podcast. We'll catch you on the flip-flop. <laughs>